You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST site, my own website, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz or at Banking Day. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business from my website, leongetler.com. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 39 in our series for 2023, and today's date is Friday, October the 27th. First, I'll be talking to Sonia Schwabsky, the CEO of Quick Copy, focusing on the franchise company's growth strategy. And I'll be talking to RMIT economist Sinclair Davidson about the impact of technology, big data and blockchain on the economy and how it will change our lives. But first, let's talk to Sonia Schwabsky. Well, Sonia, what are your growth plans for Quick Copy? Well, actually, good timing. It was a A few weeks ago, we just held some supplier update sessions and we talk about our future plans and it was just hot off the back of a a growth strategy session that we'd had with the board about where we're going with Quick Copy. So good timing on that. I'll just recap on how we've been in the last year, actually, and then I'll build upon what we're going to do with that growth that we've already achieved. So just to put it in perspective, the last 12 years, Quick Copy as a business from a sales revenue perspective, has been in decline for 12 years, up until I call it financial year 19, which was the first year before COVID hit. I kind of take the COVID years out. They're a bit of an anomaly there. So so what you're saying is uh, since the GFC? Since the GFC, yes. So Quick Copy uh, was growing up until the point of the GFC, both in number of centres and in revenue growth. And then 2008, the GFC hit, and then it's never been in growth mode ever since. And it's been on a, in that 11 years up until uh, COVID, had declined 16.78%. The number of centres had gone from 108 centres down to, we're at about 92 centres now. So you had a almost 17% decline in, in top, top line sales revenue and about a 13% decline in what we call the footprint or the locations. Last financial year, we grew the business for the first time since uh, 2008, uh, 2.8% on those pre-COVID numbers, forgetting about COVID. Uh, and that was still with our Sydney and Melbourne centres still suffering even today from 
COVID affected conditions, which is the remote working and all of those things that have affected the CBD areas in Melbourne and Sydney. So taking the CBD areas out, the rest of the business grew 11% in sales revenue. This year, quarter one, we're seeing, uh, we're looking to grow 7% on uh, that COVID, pre-COVID year. And we're hoping that the CBDs will recover to a certain extent. And we're looking to achieve 7% growth this year. And as of the finish of quarter one, we're on track to meet that. So we've We've turned around the business from a, you know, getting the brand back out there, repositioning it in the hearts and minds of our customers and starting to spread the word about what we do. So that's all happened. We've engaged with our franchise network, a lot of infrastructure improvements in place, brought in a lot more technology, automation, looking at how we can better facilitate productivity within the centres and with our interactions as a franchisor with the franchisees. So a lot of work's been done. So we've kind of got that all sorted now, built, put those foundations in place, and now we're looking to start growing our footprint. And so that's the big plans that I just recently um, released for the first time a couple of weeks ago. So we've identified that there are 45 locations around Australia that can support a quick copy centre in in the new format that we're looking at. And uh, it has enough businesses within those, um, what we call primary trading areas. Now, when you talk about new format, how different is it from the traditional format? Uh, It's not. It's not extremely different, but you would see there's been a huge change in the business. Uh, and a lot of our growth could actually be put down to that. Previously, Quick Copy was very focused just on the print, what we call small format print, going through, you know, the size of an A4 or an A3 size, going through machinery of that style, digital print services. What we've seen in the last few years, and particularly the last year, is we've moved heavily into the wide format area, which is signage. That really had a renaissance during the COVID times. If you recall, there were floor stickers and window signage and all of that really started to become quite a a strong area. It was the only area actually in our our sector, but luckily Quick Copy had already identified this um, a couple of years before and we're really investing heavily in becoming known for signage at the same levels as, as signage providers. So that's a really big area. The other area that we also, is one of our product and service pillars is design. And so that's the other area that we're now focusing on bolstering up. We've always done design, but probably always connected to print. We see design as an area that with all the new technology that people have at their disposal. You've got do-it-yourself tools like Canva. We're bringing in a tool of that ilk. But what do you do after you've outgrown doing it yourself? Where do you go? What's the next step? And there's a really great opportunity for Quick Copy to, to provide those services. We have a lot of graphic designers in our midst, and we also are looking at ways that we can bolster that supply line within the business. So that's our next cab off the rank. So when you... When I say the new format, it's having uh, really a much more marketing, overall marketing services approach to dealing with our customers from A to Z. Now, you, you're a, 
you're uh, one of Australia's biggest franchise operations. Uh, how how's that gone down with your franchisees, who many of have been there for years? Um, well, the signage and the design has been there for for years anyway. Uh, we're probably just lifting it up so it's on equal standing with our small format print products, which some of those have actually been in decline. And if you, it's if you think about administrative print, I mean that's Yes, you had the GSC, but you also had over that period from 2008 through the whole digitisation of the industry. So Quick Copy previously was doing a lot of administrative print. Now that's gone by the wayside. People aren't doing administrative print jobs as such. It's moved more to marketing print. And that's been the biggest change from an industry-wide point of view as well. We need to, you know, you've got those products that are going down. I mean, even if you look business cards that's been in decline if you look at training manuals a lot of that's gone online even though they still need the manuals but there's just less of them around so we've had to like you do with any good category management and product management these things are in decline what's the things that it's going to replace them signage has really and short run packaging due to the e-commerce and online explosion that we've had uh, is really picking up the slack there and if not growing it because we can do things quickly, we can do them close to where you are, and we can do short runs, which dovetails into the next big change in our industry, which is digital. So digital marketing, digital advertising. Uh, so that's the natural way that things move, as in if you're a small business and we need to empower entrepreneurs to make their mark on the world, that's our mantra. We need to be able to provide you, well, yes, I need a physical marketing material here, but I also need a digital version of that as well. So we're looking at digital signage, and then we're also looking in that digital space. So what other areas of digital marketing can you do? Uh, we're just building on that right at the moment. Um, there has been a, a foray into websites some time ago. We're looking at a solution. We'll probably be rolling that out next year which enables our centres to not only provide the physical assets, but to also provide the digital marketing services as well. So actually, you, websites, SEO, yeah. paid search, directory listings, all of the things. Like if you're a small business owner or medium-sized business, you need, it's, it's all very well. Yes, we can create your website and do the design and do all these things, but you need to drive traffic to your site. So you need to advertise it. So they go hand in hand, the SEO and the paid. And uh, you would have uh, you would have social media advertising as well. Yes, yeah. social media advertising would be part of that as well. But these, these are all in the works and, and obviously we haven't rolled them out and we would do this in the most considered way. So Right now, we're focused getting signage up. That's going extremely well. We grew in that wide format signage area from by 46% from last year to this year of F22 to F23. We, the design area is right in the mix right at this minute. We're working on how we can lift that one up. So, and then design does kind of dovetail into your digital because they work hand in hand. Yeah, very much so. Digital. Very yes. much so. Very much yes. so. Yeah. That so kind yeah. of goes together. So that's a complete change of business focus, isn't it? Uh, I wouldn't say it's a complete change of business focus because um, our core purpose is, as I mentioned, empowering entrepreneurs to make their mark in the world. We have a brand line we make possible. 
we are based on relationships. So we're one of the few providers out there that you can have a local relationship with. Um, there's, you know, there's, you can't have a relationship with Canva. You can't have a relationship with Vistaprint. You can't have a relationship with Officeworks. You can't have a relationship with any of the others around yeah. at this level. So we have those relationships. They're deep and expansive. And we do, we just make it happen. We're doers, we understand your business. Now we're doing a big part of what this is already. We're doing the design for print. We're doing all the delivery of all your other marketing services. If you want a water bottle, we've got it there. We can do, we get apparel, we find things and solve those complete issues for you. This is just an extension really of building that design out to make sure that well, if you're a small business owner, you don't have to have multiple relationships. You don't have to go and do this yourself and then come to us for this. We can take care of that for you and you can trust us to understand your complete business. Well, that's a complete change of business uh, from what it was originally. Oh, from what it was originally 40 years ago. Yes, definitely. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes, yes. And the industry has changed as, as well. Yes, definitely. I thought you meant just now, but no, it, it's evolved into this it's not a big change from where we are today but yes definitely from your copy shops um yep, absolutely situated in your wc penfolds right right from where it all started yes, yes. well sonia it's been terrific talking to you thank you so much for your time thank you thank you and now let's talk to rmit economist sinclair davidson well sinclair i'd like to talk to you about the impact of technology big data and blockchain on the economy what's your view about this I'm actually very optimistic, Leon. I, I think that these are magnificent tools that are actually enhancing the characteristics that humans are particularly good at. If you kind of look throughout history, we are a tool-making species. So from the, the dawn of our, of, our, of our species, let's say Homo sapiens uh, 10,000 years ago, uh, we've been tool making. We have over time done a whole bunch of things that make the world around us easier to manipulate, easier to understand, and easier to use the things around us. So if you just take some simple examples, language. We are the only species that speaks very well. Other species can communicate with each other, but we do it particularly well. Counting. If you kind of think you can count to, I think it's 12 on one hand using four fingers and a thumb. So uh, counting is, is, is sort of the next technology. So we have speaking, we have counting, uh, we then have writing. And so it's moved over time until a few hundred years ago, we got the printing press, then we got the steam engine. All of these things have made the world around us easier to live in. They've led to longer, more fruitful, more human lives. Over the last 20 years or so, we've got a new collection of technologies that have come in. Uh, we've got uh, the internet, we've got uh, blockchain, and we've had artificial intelligence for a while, but it's been in the last year that artificial intelligence has really exploded into the public domain. All of these tools, I believe, are going to lead to more economic opportunity and uh, better lives for most human beings, if not all human beings. Um, I'm going to make a very controversial statement, Leon. You, you know it's not like me to be controversial, but I would say to you that right now, every single human being alive today is living a better life than if they had been born 100 years ago or 200 years ago or 300 years ago. Right, but the, the issue, though, is that a lot of these inventions, these innovations only came into being decades after 
they were introduced. And they only became widely used. For example, the internet was developed with the military back in the 70s, but it only really came in the last 10 years. The same with motor cars. They were developed in the 19th century, but they only came in in the early 20th century. Yes, there's a few things to think about. One, let's start off with the internet. First developed in 1969, I think it was, but let's say early 70s, um, by the military as a mechanism to communicate during a nuclear war. As it turns out, the military didn't really know what to do with this technology. Um, and basically, they were going to sort of abandon it and shut it down in the early 1990s because there was nothing to do with it. And it was only when people started saying, let's have commercial operations. Let's build transactions. Let's try and do some economic activity with this technology that it really took off. And to a certain extent, I, I have a lot of sympathy for Al Gore when he says he invented the internet because, of course, he did no such thing. But he actually voted for legislation that allowed a civilian application of a previous military technology. So it's only when you start doing economic activity with the, the internet that we start seeing it take off. And, of course, there were hiccups along the way. You and I both remember the uh, dot-com boom of the late 1990s, which was a total disaster. Uh, motor cars. Motor cars had fierce competition. Horses were uh, the predominant technology for transportation at that time, and steam engines were, were, were the predominant technology. So they actually had to break in. Uh, we actually had to start seeing economies of scale come into play before the price of using a motor car fell below the price of actually owning and maintaining a horse. So um, there are straightforward economics here, but, but have a look at uh, generative AI. The adoption curve of generative AI has been astonishing. It's the fastest adopted technology in human history. So it took decades for motor cars to come in. Um, it took years for the internet to come in. Uh, blockchain is still going down the, the, the adoption curve. AI has been rapidly adopted very quickly. So it's a combination of economic prosperity, usefulness, uh, competition for these sorts of things. So all these factors play a role in the adoption of a new technology. But uh, we have to give it some time till it comes in because of economics of it. Yes, 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 we do have to give it time because very often a lot of new technologies have existing substitutes um, and also have complements. So if, if you have a look at, for example, AI, there's the substitutes for AI is, of course, human brain power. Um, so you can have teams of people looking at things or what have you, or you could literally have a, a, an AI as a tool, uh, which is basically far superior to existing uh, substitutes, so therefore it got adopted very quickly. Um, motor cars were not that far superior to existing substitutes, and they got adopted slowly. What, what about uh, big data? The, <laughs> the challenges with big data and all of these technologies is basically the, a combination of, of, of people arguing against these sorts of things. I'm a big fan of big data. I actually think it's, 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 it's going to more or less add value to, to, to um, um, humanity. But bearing in mind, there are people who have legitimate privacy concerns. Uh, so there are privacy advocates who argue against it. Then there are people who we could call the safetyists. And then there are people who we could call the doomers or catastrophists. So let's start off with the, the, the privacy advocates. More or less, what they are concerned about is that organizations are keeping track of individuals' preferences, of their buying behavior, of what they do online and all this sort of stuff. Um, and they think this is a violation of those individuals' privacy. 
Now, bearing in mind... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com ACAST. That's burrow.com ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. What is actually happening is if we look at somebody like, say, uh, Meta and Facebook, they are co-producing a product. So they provide a platform which people come onto that platform and they provide information, voluntarily provide information to the other uh, particular platform. The platform then uses that information and mixes and matches it with other information that they have to create algorithms which predict human behavior. Let's imagine at that point, they then use those algorithms to target advertising at you. Now, there becomes a moral question, is advertising good or bad? If you think advertising is a bad thing because it put in scare quotes, forces people to buy things that they don't really want. That's the sort of the John Kenneth Galbraith view of the world. If you think that advertising is a bad thing, then you are going to be very worried about this. If, on the other hand, you think advertising is a good thing, because if people don't tell you what to buy or how to buy it or what products are available, how are you going to know what you want to buy? Then, by contrast, you think this is a good thing. So it really boils down to what your view of advertising is. Um, but then there's also arguments that we kind of, we can manipulate people into doing things that they don't really want to do. I am less concerned about that because I kind of find as an educator, it's astonishingly difficult to manipulate people into doing things that they don't really want to do. I mean, not an educator, as a parent, um, it's astonishingly difficult to manipulate people into doing things they don't really want to do. So why some strange organization can do this, I don't understand. But um, there, there are those sorts of people in the world. So the, 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 the privacy advocates at least have an argument that you can engage with. But then you start getting people like the doomers who kind of say, oh, you know, these people, they're really digital Luddites. Uh, the world as we know, it's going to come to an end. We're going to be enthralled to big business. You know, AI is going to destroy humanity. Now, I understand why people think this because there have been some fantastic movies about how AIs go rogue and, 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 and destroy humanity. But these are stories. <laughs> they are very entertaining movies. In order to, for an AI to destroy humanity, they would have to have an imagination. 
And there's one thing we know about artificial intelligence. It has no imagination. They need to think outside the box. AI is an astonishingly tool that tells you what's inside the box. So thinking outside the box, having imagination, all those sorts of things, AI cannot do that. And I would imagine all of these tools, all of these innovations are going to actually massively increase productivity long run, in the long run. They will, especially for people who know and uh, how to use them. And one of the arguments against uh, the, the technology again is that this will dumb us down. Whereas in actual fact, to make use of these tools, you actually need to smarten up. So I actually, uh, uh, I'm, I'm very optimistic that in actual fact, to make better use of these tools, we will have to be smarter than we currently are. We'll have to work harder than we currently do to actually train ourselves to use these tools. So all up, I think this is a win-win. The value of, 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 of a traditional education is enhanced. The value you can get out of the traditional education using these tools is also enhanced. And which would be a tremendous boost for the economy. It should be indeed, if we can allow people to use it in the best possible way. And to a large extent, that means a lot of experimentation right now. Well, Sinclair, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. So what's happening in the news? Well, the yield on the 10-year Treasury has reached 5% for the first time since 2007. That matters for everyone, not just Wall Street. Treasury yields have been climbing rapidly, with a 10-year yield rallying from less than 3.5% during the spring and from just 0.5% early in the pandemic. Monday morning, the yield on the 10-year Treasury was at 4.96% after hitting 5.02% earlier. The jump means the US government must pay more to borrow money from investors to cover its spending. It also directly affects people around the world because a 10-year Treasury yield is a centrepiece of the global financial system and helps set prices for all kinds of other loans and investments. Besides making it more expensive for US home buyers to buy a house with a mortgage, higher yields also put downward pressure on prices for everything, from stocks to cryptocurrencies. Eventually, they could help cause companies to lay off more workers. High yields mark a sharp turnaround for a generation of consumers and investors who have known pretty much just low yields, as central banks kept benchmark interest rates pinned at nearly zero. Such low rates let people borrow more money easily, which helped economies to strengthen following the 2008 financial crisis, the European debt crisis and other maladies, including, most recently, the COVID-19 pandemic. And Australia's inflation rate quickened in the September quarter, boosted by higher petrol prices, adding to pressure on the Reserve Bank to hike interest rates again. The headline consumer price index rose 1.2% in July-September, up from 0.8% in the June quarter, the Australian Bureau of Statistics reported on Wednesday. Economists had expected the quarterly rate to come in 1.1%. At an annual rate, Headline CPA was 5.4% compared with 6% in the June quarter. Economists had predicted the annual rate to come in at 5.3%, extending the decrease from a peak in the December quarter of 7.8%. And secret tapes have revealed Australian billionaire Anthony Pratt's extraordinary private dealings with Donald Trump, a $1 million promised payment to Trump's lawyer Rudy Giuliani, and financial dealings with then-Prince Charles in the hope he would become king. After recent allegations Trump had leaked classified US submarine fleet details to Pratt, the covert recordings revealed the billionaire claimed the former president also disclosed non-public details about US military action in Iraq and a private conversation with Iraq's leader. Pratt gained access to Trump by spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on membership and event fees at the ex-president's private Florida club, Mar-a-Lago. Pratt is heard on the tape simultaneously admiring and besmirching Trump and comparing him to a mafia figure with balls who uses henchmen to do his dirty work. 
in claiming he had paid a fee of about a million bucks to Giuliani in return for the Trump lawyer attending Pratt's birthday party, the Vizzy boss explained that Rudy is someone I hope will be useful one day. King Charles is another powerful figure Pratt has cultivated while he was a prince. When documents listing a final payment to HRH, His Royal Highness, of 182000 in 2021, my superpower is that I'm rich, so I'm useful to him, Prince Charles, right? Pratt said of Charles on the tape. Pratt has also privately claimed on covert recordings that he had donated $1 million to the Voice Referendum's Yes campaign because he'd fielded a request to do so from a senior advisor of Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. Leaked documents show how Pratt had also pursued local political influence, revealing consulting payments to two former Prime Ministers, Tony Abbott and Paul Keating. Abbott was hired, the file show, weeks after losing his parliamentary seat in 2019 on a retainer of $8,000 a month, while Keating's monthly retainer is $25,000. And Uber is importing 10,000 electric vehicles from China that intends to issue to drivers under an ownership scheme as it accelerates its green ride share plans. The vehicles are being imported under a partnership between Uber and EV Direct, the Australian distributor for a Chinese electric car maker, BYD. Drivers can now access BYD Atto 3 vehicles, which retail from $48,000 from EV Direct. Financing offers start at $269 a week, leading to outright ownership after four years. The influx of new electric vehicles, some of which will be sold onto private buyers within as soon as 12 months, is expected to deliver a boost to the second-hand electric vehicle market. Uber Australia has committed to eliminating emissions from its operations by 2040, banking on business appetites for its guaranteed clean transport offering, badges Comfort Electric, to kickstart its driver's switch from petrol vehicles. The company's Uber Green platform allows customers to select a ride from either an electric or hybrid electric vehicle. Uber Australia General Manager Dom Taylor said the company would provide businesses with data on reduced pollution from using electric vehicles so that they could include it in emissions reporting and calculate the contribution to corporate climate targets. The price of electric vehicles had fallen sufficiently for them to now be the lowest cost option for drivers, which would maximise their take-home pay, Taylor said. And federal agencies must set targets to reduce reliance on contractors and consultants under changes that formally ban the use of external hires for core work and leadership. In a major tightening of labour outsourcing, agency heads are being made accountable for prioritising direct employment, ensuring any use of external expertise enhances the work and knowledge of the Australian Public Service, or APS. Agency heads must set targets to reduce their agency's reliance on inappropriate outsourcing, the framework says. These targets must be in place by June 2024 and should outline which parts of the agency's operations will be brought back in-house, how many roles will be affected and the anticipated reduction in expenditure. The core work of the APS must be done by our core workforce, APS employees. The APS default employment move follows a finance department audit that found an external workforce the equivalent of 53,911 public servants have been engaged using contract and consulting engagements. Almost 90% of the total external labour use was concentrated in defence, social services, the tax office, agriculture, water and the environment and home affairs. The audit found 75% of defence's outsourced spending, the equivalent of 26,199 workers, was on third-party providers such as garrison security, cooking and base cleaning. Nearly $3 billion in savings has already been made converting contractors to employees. 
but the blunt new rules mean agencies are under heavy scrutiny for any new external contractors. Core work is defined as essential to delivering the enduring functions of an agency required on a regular and ongoing basis. The core functions that must now be done by the APS include developing cabinet submissions once they're in a classified environment, drafting cabinet submission recommendations, drafting legislation and regulation, leading policy formulation, roles that are on an agency's executive team. The framework also requires other core APS functions to be brought back in-house as a priority, but with the rules noting, arrangements may take time to adjust. These include procurement and managing contracts, standard cost-benefit analysis, excluding major capital infrastructure and complex IT and secure assets such as defence, and delivering programs and managing grants. The framework notes many of the integrity controls do not apply to contractors. And barriers to women fully participating in the workforce are costing the Australian economy $128 billion as a federal government appointed task force calls for wholesale changes to the tax system, how public contracts are awarded, and the introduction of year-long paid parental leave. Declaring that women were tired of waiting to feel safe and economically valued, the report from the Women's Equality Task Force, released on Monday, calls for more investment in early childcare and education, ensuring the minimum wage is high enough to be considered a living wage, and finding new ways to encourage older women back into the workforce. The task force was created last year to provide independent advice to the government on how to boost women's involvement in the economy and build on recommendations out of the September 2022 Job Summit. Headed by prominent businesswoman Sam Moston, the task force also included former Business Council Chief Executive Jennifer Westacott, incoming Chair of the Productivity Commission, Danielle Wood, ACTU President Michelle O'Neill, and former Rudd Government Minister Jenny Macklin. Moston said it would take a decade to implement changes proposed by the task force, which had been told by women of all ages that their role in the economy had been undervalued and belittled for too long at a huge cost to the country. And the amount of electricity generated from solar hit a record high in the third quarter, as a rapid increase in installed capacity coincided with favourable weather to drive a fall of almost 70% in average wholesale electricity prices. The findings are a boost to Australian households and businesses that are desperate for some bill relief. Wholesale prices are the primary driving force behind how much electricity bills will rise in 2024. The Australian energy market operator said the wholesale spot electricity prices across the national electricity market averaged $63 a megawatt this quarter, 71% lower than the same time last year. The fall was largely driven by warmer than average weather, which reduced demand for electricity and increased the output of solar generation. Australian households have been installing solar at a rapid rate as they seek shelter from, from two years of consecutive price rises in excess of 20%. The increase in solar generation is a fillip for the Federal Labor Government, which is struggling to wean the country's $2.5 trillion economy off its dependency on coal. The increase in solar installations will intensify pressure on coal power plants and heighten the need to move quickly to install so-called firming capacity. Higher rooftop solar penetration will intensify losses for coal generators, and AMO expects two-thirds of Australia's traditional electricity providers to close within the next 10 years. The decline in coal means Australia's coal output is steadily falling, and AEMO said quarterly generation from black coal hit a record low in the third quarter after AGL shuttered its Liddell coal power station. And sales teams at Taylor's Wines, which grows and makes wine in South Australia's Clear Valley, are racing to re-establish connections with their Chinese buyers, following a decision to review China's wine tariffs on Australian producers. Mitchell Taylor, Chief Executive of Taylor's Wine, said Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's announcement on Sunday that the 
two countries had reached a deal to review the punitive wine tariffs had delighted every winemaker in the country. The industry is basically on its knees, he said. Not only was our largest and most profitable market taken away from us, but many of our customers have moved on to build relationships with French and Chilean winemakers. We need to get those relationships back. After months of negotiations, the government announced that Chinese officials would begin a five-month review of the tariffs. The 218% tax imposed on most Australian wine was part of a sweep of restrictions that China introduced after Australia called for an inquiry into the origins of COVID-19 in 2020. The decision prompted the wine trade to collapse and marked the start of a tough few years for Australia's winemakers. Three years without its largest import partner were exacerbated by floods across major wine-growing regions in New South Wales and Victoria. ASX-listed Treasury Wine, which houses brands such as Penfolds, Pepperjack and Wolf Blast, have suffered a 33% fall in share price since tariffs were announced. And Fortescue wants its mining operations emissions-free by 2030. Bigger iron ore rivals Rio Tinto and BHP are advancing, but not going as fast or spending as much money. Rio is aiming for a 15% reduction by 2025 and a 50% reduction by 2030. BHP is targeting a 30% reduction by 2030. Fortescue will spend US $6.2 billion, that's $9.8 billion Aussie, decarbonising its iron ore operations. Rio has estimated it will cost about US $3 billion to halve emissions from its Pilbara mines by the end of the decade. BHP has flagged US $1.6 billion spending between 2023 and 24 on fiscal 2030 to hit its iron ore decarbonisation target. All three are relying on renewable energy to replace the gas and diesel that currently power their mining, rail and port operations, but making slow progress on the vast solar and wind farms that will be required. Fortescue Chief Executive Dino Detranto says the electric haul trucks being developed by Fortescue are something like a supersized version of a Toyota Prius. Haul trucks are the biggest users of diesel in Australia. BHP uses $1.5 billion litres a year to run machinery and other equipment in its iron ore and coal mines. Fortescue uses $700 million litres a year. While in rail operations alone, Rio chews through 700,000 litres a day. The big miners see immense savings in diesel bills and any potential carbon price and hope for lower maintenance in electric trucks. And five major proxy advisors recommend investors reject Qantas's executive pay scheme and have demanded more details over why the board has not sanctioned the airline's management financially over an adverse high court ruling and its flight credit saga. The Australian Council of Superannuation Investors joined Glass-Lewis Ownership Matters, Institutional Shareholder Services and the Australian Shareholders Association in recommending investors vote against the adoption of Qantas's remuneration report. Proxy advice raises a prospect of Qantas facing the biggest backlash by an ASX blue chip since National Australia Bank suffered an 88.1% vote against its remuneration report in 2018. ISS and the ASA further recommend investors vote down a motion proposing that Qantas Chief Executive Vanessa Hudson be granted long-term incentive payments for financial year 2024. Given recent reputational issues, shareholders may see this as a core responsibility of the leadership of the CEO to whom substantial remuneration is already on offer, ISS said of Ms Hudson's participation in the bonus plan. And carbon emissions caused by employees commuting to work or on business trips will need to be disclosed under mandatory new accounting standards as activists and investors target firms over the detail of their net zero carbon targets. The Australian Securities and Investments Commission will be enforcing the climate disclosures that will initially apply to the country's biggest companies from next year before being expanded to smaller firms. Executives and board members are being warned that they could be held responsible for a larger range 
of emissions that are now considered, including across 15 categories of so-called Scope 3 emissions. These will include emissions related to waste generated by operations, employers commuting, business travel, the use of sold products and their end-of-life treatment. So-called fly-in and fly-out trips will be captured, as would business class travel. ASIC chairman Joe Longo has put companies on notice that the coming regime will be the biggest change to corporate reporting in a generation. The mandatory rules initially apply from next year to companies with more than $1 billion in assets, $500 million in revenue or 500 employees, but will then be phased in over three years down to companies with $25 million in assets, $50 million in revenue or 100 employees by 2027-28. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Scott McKinnell, the country manager for Australia and New Zealand of Tenable. We'll talk about cybersecurity. And I'll be talking to EY economist Sherelle Murphy about the latest inflation figures. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business from our website, leongetler.com. If you like Talking Business, please leave us a review with Apple Podcasts. Thank you in advance. In the meantime, catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. And if you want, leave a comment. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business on the Apple Podcast Store or on my website, leongetler.com. If you want to contact me, email me at leon at leongetler.com. I answer all emails. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing Talking Business next week. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.